Thank you so much. Let's be turning in our Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew this morning. The book of Matthew will be in the first chapter, and I'm going to ask you to mark your place there. I want you to look at a second passage here in just a moment in the book of Luke. As you get to Matthew chapter 1 this morning, we focus all the time. It's unusual for evangelists to get to preach a Christmas message, but this morning I get to preach a Christmas message. This will be our last service before we go home. Uh, We'll be here tonight for your cantata. uh, I don't think we would miss that now that we've gotten to hear the choir and see all the decorations and everything. So we're just going to be part of the congregation tonight and enjoy that. But this is my 125th message over the last 98 days. So we've been very busy, uh, 14 straight weeks in revival meetings. And so we're looking forward to going home for a few days and enjoying the holidays. And uh, But uh, we're excited to preach a Christmas message this morning to you in line with the theme of the season. As you, as you uh, hear all the songs about uh, Christmas, you hear about two people included instead of just our Savior. You also hear about these people named Mary and Joseph. Out of all the people that had ever lived on planet Earth, God chose these two people to raise His only begotten Son. Now, we have trouble coming up with a title for Joseph, don't we? Certainly not Jesus. Jesus' father, although Mary does refer to him in that manner when she uh, talks to Jesus after he was in the temple for those days. He said that, she said, thy father and I hath sought thee sorrowing, but he was certainly not his father. We'll get to that here in just a few moments. He's not his stepfather because his father was still alive and still involved. So it's hard to come up with a title for Joseph outside of something along the line of character and maybe even male role model, but I don't know what you can come up with. But he's very little is known about him in Scripture. He's dealt with very, uh, very uh, sparsely, if you will. <clears throat> and most people have all kinds of conjecture about what becomes of Joseph, as he's not mentioned much in Jesus's earthly ministry, just by a veiled reference of this being a carpenter's son. And the fact is, this man is a special individual, and we'll talk about him here in just a moment. But you never hear of Joseph first. In most families, in other words, it's, I, I, we, we're here to see Pastor and Mrs. Bloom, or Evangelist and Mrs. Harper, etc. But uh, Joseph is one of those fellows that's always second build to his wife. It's never Joseph and Mary. It's always Mary and Joseph. And we talk about this woman, Mary. We'll read something about her in Luke chapter 1 here in just a moment. Because I heard a preacher say one time, I thought it was one of the most poignant things I've ever heard about her. He said, one of the problems with Catholicism is they make too much of Mary. One of the problems with independent Baptists, we won't make enough of her. As you look at Luke chapter 1, I want you to see this real quick. Just one simple thing I want you to notice about this woman that is being honored as a co-redemptrix by Catholicism is level, uh, uh, equal to or even greater than Jesus. When you travel the world and you go to, uh, you go to, uh, uh, you go to ch- uh, ta- chapels, I'm sorry, in, uh, uh, in churches, if you will, uh, Catholic churches, what you'll find is in the stained glass window, you'll have Jesus and you'll have Mary sitting above him, but that's not the type of person this woman was. Let me show it to you from Luke chapter 1. Look with me, please, beginning in verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Watch what the Bible says. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, watch what the angel says here, please with me carefully, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee, 
Blessed art thou among women. Now you would expect this response from Mary to be shocked that she just saw an angel. She would think that she would be overwhelmed that she's speaking to God's messenger. You would think that she would be shocked at what has uh, what what just occurred in her life. And by the way, so far she knows nothing about being a virgin mother. She knows nothing about who her son is going to be. All she has heard are these words, Hail, thou art highly favored, blessed art thou among women. All Mary has heard is a compliment from an angel. Notice the next verse, please, with me. The Bible says in verse... Verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. She's not troubled at his appearance. She's not troubled at his power. She's not troubled at the sound of his voice. She's troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. I want you to understand, this woman felt uncomfortable. Not that she was talking to an angel, not that she was going to be a virgin mother, not that her son was going to be called great and called the son of the highest, and of his kingdom there would be no end. She was troubled. She was bothered that she was told she was highly favored. Let me ask you a question. Just put your thinking cap on for just a second. Does that sound like a woman that would want to be worshipped or prayed to or had candles lit to her or have her picture up above the cross? None of those things would be what this woman was about. Her entire life as she studied her in the Word of God, she's constantly telling people, whatever Jesus says to do, then you do it. And that's a wonderful message we should be preaching. But this woman, Mary, now watch what she's told, please, before we go to our actual text this morning. Watch what the angel said. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Now watch his description. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now Mary asks, how can this be, since I know not a man, see I know not a man, and now she's told that she is going to be a virgin mother. Now on the other side, we have this other man, by, we have this man by the name of Joseph, the second build in the Mary and Joseph saga. And this man by the name of Joseph is a good man. He is a descendant from David. He is of the house and lineage of David, but his line had been rejected in the book of Isaiah. So Joseph's family could never reign and rule from the throne of David. Mary's family still could. And I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Joseph is now going to hear this information. Joseph has now been told, now knows, that he has been betrayed by the woman that he's espoused to marry. Joseph now knows that she is with child. Joseph certainly, like none of us in this room, would have assumed that she's going, that she's still a virgin. Joseph has assumed, would have to assume that she has been unfaithful to him. Now what is he going to do? He has a few options, doesn't he? He could have her stoned. That was still the punishment for adultery at this for, this time and fornication. He could have had her stoned. He could do what he's thinking about doing and put her away privily. But that's not what Joseph says. And I want you to notice how Joseph is described as we get to Matthew chapter 1. Look with me please at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
thou son of David. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I want to preach a message this morning on the birth of Jesus Christ is on this wise. We'll look sympathetically at this character named Joseph for a moment or two as we go through the passage, but please let's never forget the Christmas season is not about shepherds. It's not about wise men, certainly. It's not about Herod. It's not about Mary. It's not about Joseph. The Christmas season is about Jesus and Jesus alone. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, you cannot help but notice who and what Jesus is from the very announcement of His birth. There can be no question that He is going to rule and reign. We'll get there. That's what Mary was told. But that is not what Joseph is told. Joseph is going to get information that nobody at this time would have had or would have understood even if they thought they had it. Let's look at this passage of Scripture as I preach to you about our Savior this morning. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for our time together in your house. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the message today. I pray that you'll help us as we go through these weeks that we celebrate and build up toward the day that we celebrate the birth of your Son, His incarnation, His coming from heaven to take upon Him a robe of flesh. Father, help us as we look at this simple story this morning. Have your will and way in every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice that we see first his perfection at birth. The angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary. Joseph probably wanted to uh, divorce her privately so that he could just walk away. You have to stop and think about this. That Joseph, as he's walking through the streets of the small town of Nazareth with a pregnant wife before they've gotten married, it would have to, people would draw one of two conclusions. A, she's been unfaithful, or B, they've been involved in premarital relation, uh, premarital relationship. One of those two things is going to be whispered every place that Joseph goes. Every time he walks through the market, someone behind him is going to be saying, hey, that's Joseph. Do you know what he and Mary did? They could tell all the people that they wanted. Oh, no, no. Mary's a virgin mother. No one is going to believe that. No one is going to accept that. No one is going to acknowledge that. And so every place that Joseph goes, he's going to be humiliated in one way or another by being called a sinner and a fornicator or by someone saying that he's married a woman that was unfaithful to him. As Mary is going to continue to uh, show her pregnancy, the conversation and the mocking and the ridiculing is going to get worse and worse and worse. And Joseph, being a just man, rather than have her have her stoned, he wants to just put her away. He wants to just end this. He wants to do the right thing because he's a just man. But the angel says, no, don't be afraid to take Mary because that which is conceived in her, watch this, is of the Holy Ghost. The Bible had specifically said this was before they came together. I want you to notice, number one, his perfection at his birth. See, every person in this room 
It doesn't matter your background, your race, your creed. Nothing matters at all. We all have one simple thing in common. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It is not up for discussion. It is not up for debate. You can't look at me and say that you're not a sinner. If any man wanted to stand up and say, no, no, I'm not a sinner. I'd just bring your wife up here and we'd prove that you are. The simple fact is, every single person is a sinner. Now, here's the bad news. You're not a sinner because I think you are. You're not a sinner because Pastor Bloom thinks you are. You're not a sinner because it's somewhere in the church constitution of Central Baptist Church. You're a sinner because the Bible says so. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. For the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The simple fact is, as you sit here this morning, you and I are all sinners. And we all became sinners the same way. By the way, you didn't become a sinner because you sinned. You sinned because you're a sinner. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us how it started. Therefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Because your dad was a sinner when you were born, you were a sinner. Because his dad was a sinner when he was born, he was a sinner. And you go all the way back and trace it back to Adam. But this Jesus is not the product of a man who has conceived a child. This Jesus is the product of the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice, number one, his perfection at his birth. He is not tainted with sin. He is not marked. He is not, he does not have spot or blemish. First Peter chapter one, verses 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold received by tradition from the vain conversations of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews chapter four and verse 15. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, and yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot unto God. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Do you know why you can't pay for your own sin? Because God will only accept a perfect sacrifice. That's why, because you're tainted with sin, you can never work hard enough you can never do enough good deeds because every sacrifice you offer to God is tainted because you're tainted. He demanded a perfect sacrifice. And there he is, born in this manger. Joseph hearing about him for the first time. Mary's probably told him the story. But he, like every other human being at that time, would have balked at it. They would have questioned it. He would have still had questions and doubts. And now Joseph knows This angel says, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Your wife that's espoused to you, she's been faithful. It's not her sin, but she's going to have a child that's going to be perfect. Notice number one, his perfection at his birth. Notice number two, his person, his purpose at his birth. Now, as we look back, we can see that this baby born in the manger has a a public ministry, is betrayed, is tried and convicted, is nailed to a cross, dies on that cross for the sins of the world, announces 
for all to hear, it is finished, and then rose from the dead the third day and ascended into heaven. We look back and we can say with authority, the, uh, the purpose of His birth was to seek and to save that which was lost. But understand this, most of the nation of Israel, if not all of the nation of Israel, did not understand He was coming to die. Mary doesn't understand He was coming to die. Remember what Mary was told? He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord will give unto Him the throne of His Father David. Of His kingdom there shall be no end. You'll notice when God sends the angel to tell Mary of the birth of Jesus, there is nothing mentioned about dying, nothing mentioned about being a sacrifice, nothing mentioned about giving His life. She only knows that He's going to rule and reign. Jews would have only expected Him to come and be the Messiah and destroy the Roman oppression. They would have known that He was going to be uh, the wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. They didn't seem to understand Isaiah chapter 53. Even the disciples, after Jesus has been with them for years, still do not understand that Jesus is going to die. Remember when He told Simon Peter and the disciples in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, and after this He began to show unto His disciples how He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the rulers and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. The simple fact is, nobody understands that Jesus is coming to die. But the first person I think that got it is Joseph. Notice the purpose of his birth. Watch what the angel tells Joseph. And we celebrate this name, do we not? But notice what he says. Verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now watch what it says. For he shall save his people, get it, from their sins. Now, if that angel had said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, he shall save his people from their poverty, then we would have known that Jesus would be wealthy. If he had said, he shall save his people from their captivity, then we would know that Jesus was going to be a warrior. If it said, He shall save His people from their ignorance, then we would have known that Jesus would have been wise. But He says, He shall save His people from their sins. Joseph is a Hebrew. There is only one way to be saved from sin in the Hebrew customs, isn't there? Almost all things were by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. The only way He could save His people from their sins is to come and be a blood sacrifice that would satisfy the holiness of Almighty God. Joseph is the first person to hear this. He's not coming to rule. He's not coming to sit on the throne. He's coming to die. He's coming to be a lamb. He's coming to be an offering to Almighty God. His purpose at His birth. When He does give His sacrifice, when He is the sacrifice, remember what the Bible says about Him in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12? But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sin. I love the next words. Forever sat down at the right hand of God. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we might be called the righteousness of God in him. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What I'm saying this morning is, Joseph would have understood. Joseph would have known exactly what it meant. 
he shall save his people from their sins. A high priest going into the Holy of Holies didn't save his people from their sins. He offered a sacrifice that did. That means Jesus is going to be a blood sacrifice offered for the sins of his people and for the sins of the whole world. First John chapter 2 and verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. As you sit here this morning, it is absolutely true that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it is absolutely true that He came to save His people from their sins. The only way your sins go away, the only way your sins are forgiven, the only way your sins are blotted out and buried in the depths of the sea, the only way your sins are removed as far as east is from the west is because Jesus came to save His people from their sins. No one else understood this right now. It's not what the angel said to Mary. And Joseph hears, number one, the perfection of his birth. Number two, the purpose of his birth. Notice the angel continues on. Verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Hold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is, watch this word, God. God, not just his perfection at his birth, not just the purpose of his birth, but I want you to notice the power of his birth. This is God in this manger. This is God that has been brought forth. This is God that Mary has delivered. And by the way, don't you feel a little sorry for Joseph? getting to Bethlehem and there's no room in the inn? I don't know if your wife is the least bit like mine, but my wife might have said something along the lines of, well, why didn't you get a reservation? (laughs) Especially a wife that is nine months pregnant, great with child, traveling this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And there they get there and there's no room in the inn. That's certainly not Mary's fault that there's no room in the inn. It's certainly not Mary's fault they don't have a place to stay. And she's going to deliver her firstborn child. Remember when you had, I don't know how many of you have multiple children. Remember when you had that first child? That first child, everything was sanitized. Everything was spotless. Everything was coated in alcohol. You had six or seven uh, pacifiers, or as a lot of people call them around the country, binkies. You had six or seven, so if one of them got a speck of dust on it of some kind, you would take that one and you would put it in a little case. You would then boil it, and then you would sterilize it, and then you would give it to the child only after that. So you always had a spare one that was completely sterilized for that child. And that first baby touched no no germs at all. There was no dirt around him. But by the time you got to the third or fourth, you could drop that pacifier in a pile of cow manure. You'd pick it up. You would brush it off. I'm not kidding, moms. You know I'm telling you the truth. You would brush it off. Then you would do this and pop it right in that baby's mouth. But that first child, you want sanitation, don't you? That first child, you want pristine. That first child you don't want to deliver in a manger. That first child you don't want, as wonderful as we make the little scenes look in our manger scenes, you do realize this, I'm sure. Animals aren't clean. A newborn baby boy with animals around him. Oh, we sing the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes. We have sheep in every single manger scene and every single journey through Bethlehem or journey through Christmas and all of that kind of stuff. 
But imagine laying a brand new newborn, your firstborn child, in a manger. I'm here to tell you, Mary was certainly a wonderful person, wasn't she? That she didn't leave Joseph right then and there. (laughs) But this isn't just a baby in the manger. We say it all the time. It's not his beginning. It's his birth. It's his incarnation. This is God in this manger. Who else's birth would angels announce? Who else's birth would bring glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men? Who else's birth could change everything? I heard one preacher say this. He said, we often marvel that Jesus was born in a manger. And he asked this question. He said, where else would a lamb be born? I'll never forget being in Bethlehem when we took a tour over to Israel in 2015 and our, our, uh, our Palestinian tour guide told us uh, about the caves there underneath the shepherd's fields. If you've ever been there, you go down some steps into some caves and the caves are very big. There are caves approximately as large as half of this auditorium. And when a storm would come up, oftentimes the shepherds would have to rush the sheep down into the caves to get them out of the weather. And every now and then the guide told us, a little lamb would be born there in the caves with the storm up. He said, I don't know if you've ever watched any nature shows, but when a little baby colt or a foal or even a lamb is born, before their eyes are even open, before they're even stable on their feet, the first thing they want to do upon birth is to run around. And the shepherds knew that if a little lamb was placed down on the ground and ran around in a cave, he would run into the wall. He would be scratched. He would be marred. He would be blemished. He wouldn't be worthy of temple worship. So our guide told us that when a lamb was born, that one shepherd would hold and comfort the little ewe lamb as she was giving birth. One shepherd would catch the little baby lamb before they did anything to him. And then a third shepherd would be standing there and wrap him from shoulder to thigh in swaddling clothes before they would set him down. So if he ran into the wall, it wouldn't hurt him and blemish him. And he told us this, he said, when those shepherds heard the angel announce, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He said their first thought would have been, it's the Lamb of God. Preacher was sitting next to me named Brother David Maynard. He leaned over when we heard that story. And he said, I don't know how many of you are from the southeastern part of the United States, the Bible Belt. He said, preacher. He said, my ox is about to get out of this pen. (laughs) But this is God. The only person in the history of the world that could choose his birthplace chose a manger. This is God with us. All the power, all the glory, all the ability, everything. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who's laying in this manger. Joseph understands his perfection at his birth, conceived of the Holy Ghost. He understands the purpose of his birth. He shall save his people from their sins. He understands his power at his birth. This is God. But then it says this, with us. He understood his presence at his birth. God with us. Now think about this, please, for just a moment, because I fear that sometimes we take for granted a few things. That you wake up in the morning, if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you wake up in the morning and God is with you. 
He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never be away. He's the friend that sticketh closer than any brother. We understand that. We, we accept that. And I think sometimes we take it for granted. You go through a trial and we preach it all the time. God goes through the trial with you. Go through a heartbreak. God goes through the heartbreak with you. We understand that, don't we? But that's not the season in which Jesus was born, though, is it? God would come and go. He would speak to someone and stay with them for a while. Then, like in King Saul, the Spirit of God departed from him. He wasn't constantly there. He wasn't constantly beside of them. He didn't walk every step of the way with them. That's why the children of Israel moving through the wilderness is such a miraculous moment as that pillar of cloud and pillar of sky was over their head. They had a visible representation of the presence of God right there. But most people never had that. The Lord would come upon them. Then He would leave them. Do you know from that night in that manger up until this very day, we've been able to have God... With us, every step we take, every heartache we face, every chemotherapy, every radiation, every graveside, God with us. From this moment on, there's never been a part when he's been apart from us. There's never been a moment when he hasn't been there. Understand, Joseph understands his presence at his birth. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you are a sinner, but there was a perfect sacrifice. It was enough to save you from your sins. And not only that, when He saves you, He comes in to dwell. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? What you have of God and you're not your own, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. This morning, He'll save you from your sins. He'll wash you whiter than snow. He'll forgive every sin you've ever committed because His sacrifice was bigger than any sin that's ever been committed. And not only will you save, He'll save you, but He'll dwell with you. Now we've talked about Joseph a little bit and you have to feel a little sympathy for Joseph. Joseph carrying a burden Mary doesn't carry. Joseph listening to the mocking, the ridicule. Joseph, you know how we do this, Christian. As Jesus is celebrating his fifth birthday, a few months before Mary and Joseph celebrate their fifth anniversary, you know the whispers were still going on. But there's something in this passage about Joseph. There's something in this passage that I think makes whatever he went through worth it all. Look, if you will, please, and we'll be finished. Look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. And took unto, him Mary, took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Now watch this. And he, he called his name Jesus. What a name. We sing about it. We celebrate it. We put it on our bulletins. We preach about it every service we get the chance to. We mention His name to every lost person that we come across. We celebrate Him in every way possible. And that name, Jesus, it does something to us when we mention it. It does something to us when we just say it. But He, it is Joseph that held that baby in the manger for the first time. And said, Jesus. 
Can you imagine having the privilege of announcing him to the world? Oh, the shepherds announced that there was a, a descendant of David. The shepherds announced that there is one born in Bethlehem. The star announced that there was a king that was born. But it is Joseph that announces it's not just a king. It's not just a ruler. It's the one that's going to save our people from our sins. This is Jesus. I'm asking you the question this morning. As a Christian, aren't you just a little bit envious of Joseph? After all he went through, no megaphone, no microphone, just a man holding a child that wasn't his that he's going to raise beside a woman that he now knows is highly favored among the, among God, above, uh, by God. He gets to say, oh, by the way, shepherds, did you see Jesus? Oh, by the way, those town folk from Bethlehem, hey, do you see this? This is Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. You say this, as a Christian, we shouldn't be envious of Joseph because we can say the same thing. We don't get to say it first, but we sure do get to say it. Aren't you glad that as people struggle with all the trials of, hol- of the holiday season, and there are a lot of them, you can say, let me introduce you to someone who will save his people from their sins. Aren't you glad that's why you're having a cantata? Goodwill toward men. He shall save his people from their sins. As a Christian, we certainly celebrate that he's going to rule and reign. We certainly celebrate that he's going to sit on the throne. We celebrate that he's going to split the eastern sky. Those are wonderful things for us to know. Mary was told what the Christian wants to hear. Joseph was told what every lost person needs to know. He shall save his people from their sins. We saw his perfection at his birth, his purpose at his birth, his power at his birth, God and his presence at his birth with us. That's what Christmas 